Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great conversation with Steve Statler, Senior Vice President of Marketing and ESG at Williot. Imagine technology the size of a postage stamp changing the way we make, distribute, and sell food and consumables. It's a technology that can make our supply chain more efficient and cut food waste. Ag Emerge has purposefully focused on bringing together regenerative agriculture and emerging technologies to make regenerative farming possible anywhere and everywhere. And today's conversation explores all those exciting opportunities. So let's jump right in. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm uh, blessed to be joined by Steve Statler with Williot. Welcome, Steve. How are you today? Oh, um, feeling very good. It's uh, wonderful to be on uh, on your uh, program. Um, you've got a, a, an important uh, constituency uh, that we're keen to start a conversation with. Well, I, I sure thank you for your time today because we're really trying to blend regenerative agriculture and emerging technologies and, and how those two things can, can work together in order to really make regenerative, uh, regenerative farming possible anywhere and everywhere. And uh, first off, I, I, uh, I'm humbled because uh, I have a podcast uh, host who is actually a guest on my podcast. So that's, uh, that I'll, I'm happy to return the favor sometime if, if you find it <laughs> interesting enough. But I would uh, love to appreciate do that. it, Steve. I would love to do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us tell us your personal story and, and how it got to where you are today with uh, you, you know your interest in uh, Internet of Things and Williot and 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 those uh, everything that where it's gotten you to today. Yeah, I, well, I'm uh, gosh, uh, sixty years old, so I've been in the technology industry for quite a while, and I've always taken an interest in uh, in in the latest new shiny thing. Everyone's got a friend who's always buying the newest gadget, and that's that's me. Um, uh, I was uh, doing a stint at IBM after they bought a, a company that I'd worked at for, for many years and uh, I got an opportunity to uh, be the guy that picked the new areas that we were going to invest in um, to, to drive uh, uh, technology sales and, and uh, this was the time when phones looked like uh, candy bars and had tiny black and white screens and I'm like uh, I hear that these can be used as computers, and that really just uh, attracted my attention. And so I had a string of roles um, at some really interesting companies that uh, headed in that direction and um, ended up at Qualcomm, who are the largest uh, manufacturer of chips that go into phones. Every time someone buys a phone, they get a small check. It's a pretty uh, amazing business model they have, and they sell chips. Uh, and we um, happened upon a, a technology called the Bluetooth Beacon um, that uh, was uh, Apple had just announced, and there was like uh, a huge flurry of excitement around that. Um, and we got the first Qualcomm got the first product out um, in that space, and it was deployed at all the Apple stores. And basically, the Bluetooth Beacon was the thing that triggered the message on your phone saying "Welcome to the the store." Uh, 
before the Bluetooth beacon, you got that message when you drove up in the car park and maybe you were going to go to Sears, uh, but uh, you still got that message. So they, they wanted like a GPS indoors and uh, Bluetooth delivered that. And uh, we got a real head start in that space. And I went on to start another company. Um, uh, actually, in a, uh, we ended up doing a bunch of work in sustainability, carbon offsetting and that sort of thing. But partly as therapy, I wrote this book called Beacon Technologies, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beacon System. Um, and I started doing training and a podcast. And uh, one of the guys that came to my training course was an Israeli fellow. And he said, we've just, we're about to start developing a passive Bluetooth beacon. And that statement was a very humbling thing to hear because I'd just written a book. I'd uh, finished a day of lecturing about Bluetooth beacons and I had no idea what a passive Bluetooth beacon was, but he explained to me that this was a battery free device and it would essentially create a computer the size of a postage stamp, which rather than costing the million dollars of mainframes or the thousands of dollars of desktop computers or the hundreds of dollars of smartphones, uh, it would cost just pennies, single digit pennies for this uh, thing that had an ARM processor and could sense temperature and all sorts of other things and communicate to the Internet of Things. So I actually, when he offered me a consulting job, I turned him down because I thought, I, I, you're teaching me, what can I teach you? But fortunately, he persuaded me to, uh, um, to join Williot. And now, um, six and a half years later, we're um, 185 people. We have investment from um, every uh, really amazing set of companies, Verizon, PepsiCo, um, Amazon, um, uh, SoftBank. Uh, and uh, we're working with some of the largest companies in the world on what is now called Ambient IoT, uh, which is a, um, a market, a technology where basically everything gets connected to the internet. Uh, suddenly we get visibility of everything. Um, uh, suddenly uh, we have kind of this omniscient uh, view of assets, uh, product, supply chains, uh, uh, the end customer's use and consumption of our product. And it's completely disruptive and just an amazing thing to be part of. So that was a very long monologue on uh, how uh, I got to where I got to, but hopefully it, it sets the stage for our conversation. Well, I tell you what, if you had a short monologue, you probably wouldn't be on the podcast. I mean, how interesting would that be, right? So, you know, <laughs> we like to have people have a lot of experience in their field of, of um, uh, where they're working and those kind of things. So um, it's it just, you've opened up a lot of questions with your story there, and I'd like to follow on with that. So most of us that think of Bluetooth, uh, think of something mm -hmm. that connects to our AirPods or or, you know, maybe to a, a smart device or a vehicle, something like that. And there's been a lot of iterations of Bluetooth. So many generations um, that I just don't think people are really aware of and, and what it does, mm -hmm. both the, the range, the functionality. You know, I remember my first Bluetooth device was on an iPack. So uh, it's been around for a long period of time and um, just kind of yes. walk us through the the generations of Bluetooth, because I think it's one of those kind of silent technologies that's, you know, working in the background and, and its capability has dramatically improved over the years just to kind of get us yes. up to where we are now. Then, then we'll go into 6G, 7G and yeah, <laughs> omniscient uh, <Absolutely>. reporting. <laughs> 
Well, um, yeah, Bluetooth is, you know, it's, it's an amazing brand. It's up there with uh, Coca-Cola and Nike. Um, some of us love it. Some of us hate it. Uh, we've probably all had good and bad experiences uh, trying to pair our uh, uh, phones with our cars or our headphones with our, uh, our laptop. But um, it, it, the, the, the technology has been around um, uh, for, for, an, for an awfully long time, and it started off as a replacement for the cable to connect your, your keyboard uh, uh, to your uh, desktop computer. Um, and um, uh, it, there was then a heavy focus on music, and um, um, the, the, the consortium, uh, the special interest group that uh, defines it, has grown. There's over 30,000 companies that are now participating in this ecosystem. There are billions and billions of Bluetooth devices that are made uh, every year. And we've now got something called Bluetooth Low Energy, which has allowed devices to sip very um, uh, moderately uh, at, at tiny batteries to uh, communicate a lot more than just music or keyboard strokes. There's uh, heart, uh, heart monitors and, and, and all of the smart devices that uh, surround us. It's become a very comprehensive standard that uh, includes asset tracking and locationing. So uh, the one of the most recent versions of Bluetooth, not the most recent, but one of the most recent is Bluetooth 5.1, which has something called angle of arrival in it, which um, allows you to not just know that there's an asset nearby um, a, uh, a, a receiver. A receiver could be a phone or a, a Wi-Fi access point or some other specialist uh, uh, asset tracking device. But angle of arrival gives you the uh, angle um, uh, in X, Y, and Z dimensions of where that uh, asset is. So one extreme example of that is it's being used in Finland to track ice hockey players and the pucks that zip and zoom uh, across uh, the ice. And the, um, the asset tracking readers are actually up in the rafters of these stadiums. Uh, and you know that puck is moving very very quickly so it's an amazing technology and obviously it's still used for audio there's actually a new profile that uh, uh, of low energy audio which is going to make it much easier for people to uh, listen to the music in a concert and share those experiences and get more battery life out of their their devices but when we were building uh, this ambient iot device um, Bluetooth was the obvious technology to use to connect these stickers and for those of us that uh, are watching then you can see this is basically what a computer looks like. It's probably the only uh, sticker that you'll see with a Bluetooth logo and an uh, FCC logo on it. Um, and we chose Bluetooth because it's ubiquitous. It's, uh, you know, almost every appliance now comes with Bluetooth, literally fridges, uh, cookers, uh, as well as all the obvious things, the watches and uh, maybe less obviously the Wi-Fi access points. And so warehouses uh, are starting to get wired for communications, uh, not just with Wi-Fi, but Bluetooth. So we chose Bluetooth and it's an international standard. So the same frequencies are used everywhere in the world, which you can't say about almost any other radio standard. Uh, you know, obviously you go from town to town, the radio stations are on different frequencies. We Actually, these tags can harvest energy from FM radio, but the problem is you go from Tulsa to Tucson and uh, the, 
the frequencies are different and it's the same with cell phones you go from from country to country uh, but bluetooth uh, uses the same frequencies and so that allows us to have tags that work everywhere and very simply and at very low cost so for uh, folks that might be familiar with uh, an air tag or tile type technology um yes you know and uh talk to us about just for understanding of the Williet tag, how that works uh, in comparison, you know, the low energy standard versus the ambient energy and, and this, <laughs> the ambient energy, yes. this, this is just mind blowing. This is the mind blowing part yes. of it. Listen carefully. This yes, is cool. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, asset tracking seems a bit abstract, but um, actually there's a lot of asset trackers in our homes. Uh, frequently people have started buying, tile devices and uh, Apple's own uh, proprietary uh, um, uh, Bluetooth trackers um, that you can put on your keyring um, so that you don't lose it or put it in your purse. I actually put them in my, uh, uh, in my coats. I seem to leave coats everywhere. So <laughs> these are great. Um, you know, it costs like uh, $20, $30 for one of these devices. Um, and um, they do a great job, but they have batteries and every now and then you have to replace the batteries. So the idea of uh, ambient IoT is that we tap into a resource that surrounds us. We're surrounded by radio waves. So if you and I suddenly got the superpower to, to visualize radio waves and the, the audience can play along with us, imagine you can see radio waves, look around you, what would you see? You'd probably see a room, uh, even a field, uh, full of a rainbow of colors because you've got FM, you've got cellular, you've got other uh, technologies that you may not even be aware of that uh, are being used along the wide area. But then, of course, you've got the personal area technologies like Bluetooth and you've got, um, um, uh, you know, every uh, uh, almost every electronic device is spewing out energy. So why don't we recycle that? Why don't we uh, borrow it, harvest it? So a lot of your audience are into harvesting. Well, we harvest um, energy and we do it using the same and type of antenna that we use to transmit the Bluetooth signal. Uh, there's, a, there's another antenna that, that's basically absorbing energy and we uh, capture it over time. And these tiny tags are very, very good at capturing energy from incredibly weak signals. Um, so that's the first trick to doing energy harvesting. The second trick is don't lose it. Uh, electronic circuits are like a bucket with a hole in. If there's a big hole, then that energy tends to leak. That's literally what the electrical engineers call it. And so we figured out how to make the hole in the bucket smaller. Uh, and then what you've got is essentially a very small bucket with a tiny amount of energy in it. And so you then need to redesign a uh, a computer circuit, uh, a processor, an MCU or a CPU to be able to operate with that small amount of energy, which is what we, we do. And I won't go into the details of how it does it, but it's as a geek, it's incredibly cool the way it works. Uh, but the net is for less than 10 cents, uh, by the end of next year, you'll be able to get an ARM processor that can uh, compute and sense and communicate securely so that you own the data. Um, and uh, that is gonna change the way we make things, the way we distribute them, the way we sell them, the way we use them, the way we reuse them, and ultimately the way we recycle them. And it can make our supply chain so much more efficient and it can 
cut food waste in particular from the farm to the store. There's masses of uh, food waste. United Nations uh, studies say 30% of food's wasted before it even gets to our homes. So, um, you know, a big part of combating that waste is knowing where things are, how long they're spending time in different places, what the conditions are. And if suddenly you have visibility of that, you we sort of turn God mode on in this uh, simulation game that is the life that we're all living. We suddenly uh, turn the light on and we can see everything. Uh, uh, you know, imagine what we could do to organize the way we run farms, supply chains, uh, organize the flow of product into retail stores. And that, that's really the opportunity that we have by taking something that most people think of as a technology to stop them losing their keys, uh, but, but actually um, is a chance to tackle some of the biggest problems in the world, climate change, uh, uh, productivity, um, uh, getting, you know, not exhausting uh, uh, the natural resources that we have in order to feed all the, all the mouths that we have to feed. We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. Right. And so there were several key breakthrough technologies required really to make this stamp itself work. Now, yes. we're going to go into the whole ecosystem. Once you've got that stamp, I mean, what the implications are. I mean, yes. this, this is mind blowing. I hope <laughs> we have enough time to get to it all. But, um, you know, the, like you said, to be able to harvest the energy, First off, uh, Nikola Tesla somewhere is is dancing in his grave because you're you're harvesting energy. Uh, that was one of his uh, grand ideas was to be able to transmit energy wirelessly, right? So he was thinking maybe Absolutely. a little grander scale, Absolutely. but uh, you know you're doing it, and then the technology to 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 store minute amount or essentially basically harvest enough energy to activate the chip that requires a little bit to transmit back out. Essentially, I assume there's there's no real battery inside of it. So, and, and, and that's no the, battery. That's the, the critical part. I mean, uh, battery resources, that's definitely a, a topic of discussion and, you know, environmentally and resource wise and cost wise. So uh, amazing uh, that you've done this. So now we've got this postage stamp, we can stick it on anything. And, and you've got several uh, paths of industries that you're assisting and, you know, uh, in addition mm -hmm. to food, but, you know, today and produce, for example, the standard is we are monitoring the amount of time from when the truck is full. Uh, that's basically a double truck that's got produce on it to when it gets full in order to when it gets to the packing plant. And the, the standard is to keep it within two hours. But sometimes, you know, the very first box goes on is on there longer than the last box. Uh, or if we don't have good airflow or something happens in the cooler or a hotter, it was picked on a hotter day than another. We don't really know what's going on there you know but in addition to just the location you've got temperature sensors in these tags too so you can know really box by box or crate by crate exactly what's going on so if you have a hot crate in the middle of a truck that makes it into the middle of the warehouse you can isolate it down to that crate isn't that correct 
That's right, Monty. Yeah, uh, it's um, uh, exactly it. And, and we're seeing things that, you know, we've never been able to see before. It was just too expensive to put a temperature tracker on every crate or case of produce. And, and that, that truck uh, could have been rejected, right? But three quarters of the truck was okay. And, and, and yes, now you can identify exactly. the quarter that isn't or, you know, exactly. any of these kind of things. And yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. To I mean, we're seeing, <laughs> no, no, no. We're seeing microclimates within these reefer containers, these refrigerated containers. And, um, you know, it's not good, uh, to be frank. Uh, we're seeing uh, produce like watermelons and strawberries being frozen, not just once, but like seven times on their on their journey from a distribution center to a store. Um, and then we see other produce that be, should be kept uh, at, at lower temperatures that are being kept at higher temperatures. And so, you know, we go to our stores as shoppers and we have this disappointment. Sometimes the pr produce doesn't look good. Sometimes it looks okay. We take it home and it doesn't last. And actually, one of the things that we've seen is we've been able to correlate where shoppers spend their time in the supermarket and correlate it to what happened to the produce on the journey. And, you know, it's like uh, the, the, uh, the dance when you were in a TJ, uh, you were a teenager, the, the guys are hanging around the, the girls with the nice dresses and that sort of thing. And that's what happens in the store. The shoppers are hanging out with the beautiful fruit and the ugly fruit are getting short shrift. And, you know, I'm trying to be vaguely amusing here, but but it's actually pretty serious because um, you know that means that uh, um, uh, the the badly conditioned product just sits there longer and longer, uh, and so and it goes off and it's wasted and thrown away, and that's just a terrible thing. So um, one of the retailers that we're working with, uh, actually Israel's largest retailer, is a company called Shufusel. Um and uh, we have a video case study on on uh, the Williot website. People can kind of see see it. And spend, we spend a bit more time than I can here. But uh, what one of the things that they're driving towards is ripest first ordering in in the back of the store. So you know, it started off actually the problem that the, that they were interested in is we we're moving to reusable plastic crates. It's a more sustainable approach, uh, keep the product in better shape on there, but they're more expensive than the, uh, the, the cardboard uh, crates that we were using before. So we need to solve that problem. And by putting, we call them IoT pixels because they're small, they bring light. And when you have lots of them together, you have a, a, a picture that you couldn't see before. So we use these pixels and we put them, uh, these postage stamp computers on each of the crates and lo and behold, you actually don't need so many crates. So maybe you, you thought you needed uh, one and a quarter million. You can just have a million crates in that, in that pool for a large uh, retailer. Um, so that saves some money. And then, you know, crates get stolen and lost. And so if you know where they are, you can uh, solve that problem. And it was actually the thing that is the biggest benefit was not anything to do with why, why this project started. Um, but the biggest benefit is not keeping track of the crate, but keeping track of what's in the crate. And that's where we are able to see, you know, the, uh, the, the, the delays that you were referring to earlier. 
uh, but also you know a FIFO in the packing shed that isn't really a, a FIFO. It should be first in, first out, but you know everything is crazy. Uh, the harvest is <laughs> it doesn't come evenly spaced throughout the year. Uh, it's all happening, and so you find crates get stuck at the back, uh, and then you know difficult to keep track of which ones went in first and so forth. So we can really help with that uh, and provide alerts. Uh, in a very automated way, not some dashboard or report that no one, you know, feels like they have to look at a month after the fact, but real-time intelligence and alerts that can help the, uh, um, the the farmer's crew do their job better. And then, you know, the same thing applies in the distribution center, and the same thing happens in the uh, the back of store. Uh, and making sure that product is kept in the right place at the right time. Everyone's struggling to get staff. So if you can raise an alert that these um, products that should be in the chilled area are actually been left out for the last uh, half hour in the store, then that's an opportunity to, to save that and uh, turn things around. So and, lot, and, lots to cover there, but uh, hopefully yeah, you get yeah. a sense of how these pixels can be used. And what I love is it, is it shines the true light on what's going on. Was it the farmer and delay in the harvesting? Was it the shipper didn't get it cool or didn't hold it right? Yes. Was the trucker? Uh, was it the distribution yes. center at the retailer, uh, the broker? Because there's a whole bunch of lying goes on when uh, <laughs> there's millions of dollars at stake and it, it keeps passing back up the chain to the farmer. So, I mean, there's there's definitely that aspect. But now I want to uh, shine a little light on what the potential is here for regenerative agriculture is now yes. you know exactly where what field produce came from or maybe a seed crop or or something that is containerized and some packaged in some form uh you know something that goes into a grain truck probably not but you know things that are uh, packaged in some form you can know exactly where they came from and you can associate it back to the soil quality uh, the soil health uh, practices that are going on there to be able to attribute the values to this. So in grass-fed meat, for example, you can know that it came from from this field or it spent its life here mm -hmm. or those kind of things or produce, whatever. Um, talk about how now because of this technology and how you're using a, probably a blockchain approach or something to, to be able mm -hmm. to, to carry through all of the characteristics that were uh done to or quality aspects to the product and, and what that uh shining that light through in there and a the value could create for the farmer yeah I, I think you've highlighted a couple of really important applications and uh, uh so williot started 2017 and uh, it wasn't uh very long that we had inquiries from farmers that wanted to put these uh um iot pixels on livestock um and you know uh, cows and uh, so beef was obviously a major application because of the, the cost and and uh, we had a lot of interest from uh, um actually australia where they have um a huge market in high quality beef that gets sent to um, over to Asia, to uh, Japan and so forth. And there's real issues with counterfeit. Uh, so, you know, the, the, that's sort of undermining the whole business model of, yeah, well, this is going to be uh, uh, this, the field's organic and we're actually going to take really great care of the animals. And so they have all the cost. And then someone else comes in and substitutes something where none of those best practices have gone into it. And so they wanted to 
had that traceability from the field into the uh, the retailer and the consumer. Um, and then, but eventually we started getting inquiries where people wanted to put these on uh, chickens, uh, e even. Um, so I think, you know, that's uh, maybe a little more of an edge case. And uh, uh, these are applications that have yet to come. We've had a lot of high value uh, um, crops, um, uh, marijuana plants, which is a growing market there where there's a lot of regulation where you need to have the highest levels of traceability. Um, and uh, you know, these tags are, can, they have a secure ID, so that's helpful, but they can also sense temperature. Uh, and we're also working on a variant. It's not out yet, but I think it will be this coming uh, year, 2023, of, of moisture sensing. So um, being able to uh, look at the condition of the, the crops uh, in the ground. So the driver there was, oh, we've got to do traceability. And uh, in the past, we've used RFID and those readers cost thousands of dollars. And we all know that Bluetooth devices can cost tens of dollars. So it's just you know, a lot lower cost to start sprinkling the readers in place and uh, um, the ability to uh, do that end-to-end -end traceability um, uh, to manage uh, recalls, to file the paperwork that you need if you're trying to uh, prove the provenance of the product that you're uh, selling. These are basically some of the requirements that we've had coming in from, from this particular area. And I, I imagine um, the requests and the application is just continually thought of almost on a daily basis, right? It's like, this is a whole new frontier. What can we do with this? And, and I'm sure you just have a myriad of ideas. And uh, maybe this will, for some of our ag technologists that listen to this, how does your company, even though you are of good size now with good momentum, you still have to not do everything at once, correct? I mean, you still have absolutely to right. laser focus on your, how, how what do you, What's some words of wisdom on on how to not just do everything all at once, <laughs> right? Yes, uh, it's so tempting uh, because there's so many. I mean, there's so many problems that can be solved with this technology. Uh, the temptation is to try and do everything, and if you try and do everything, you end up doing nothing. So um, you have to focus and focus on a couple of dimensions. You know, what is it that we, Williot, will do and where do we work with partners? And so we've realized that our strategy is a horizontal platform strategy. We'll do this thin layer and, and we'll work with partners to do as much of uh, everything else that needs to be done. So we design the chip um, uh, that is the kind of the heart of uh, an IoT pixel. Um, but we'll actually let anyone make it. Uh, we will license that for free. And so um, part of having tags that work on chickens and beef and uh, plants and plastic crates, uh, it's the same chip, but you need different antennas. You need uh, different uh, profiles of materials. Uh, some can be disposable, some you want to last for years. And so we're working with, uh, we call it Works with Williot. Uh, we're working with uh, an increasingly large number of companies that make IoT pixels that conform to those things. So, you know, the reason why we're not doing marijuana plants or chickens is we just don't have time to make the tags. And up until now, it's just been Williot making them. But now, uh, you know, we recently uh, we're fielding orders for hundreds um, of millions of these things. 
and we can't make them. Uh, we just can't make that number of products ourselves. So um, uh, we're starting to farm out, if you'll pardon the pun, um, the production to all of the companies that have been making RFID tags, which you know look similar, but um, they're not Bluetooth and it's not continuous and you typically don't have sensing uh, from uh, most Close Bluetooth range tags. and all those other issues with RFID. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we're basically letting the companies like Avery Dennison, who are the largest maker of smart tags in the world, they're actually one of our investors, but also their competitors are starting to make these tags and just help us respond to some of these very large orders. But what we're looking forward to seeing is uh, not just more tags, but different kinds of tags. So there's uh, features that we're hoping to see um, uh, next year or maybe the year after. Uh, which include tamper detection, where you can use these and have a seal on a product uh, and you can see when that seal was broken. Now, the chip can do it now, but we need a, a company that uh, can uh, basically engineer the, uh, the paper and the antenna that will make that work. But then, you know, that's just the tag is just part of it. Then there's all the devices that go in the trucks and the refrigerated units and so forth. So there's a whole ecosystem of uh, of um, edge devices to use the IoT vernacular, the, the, the readers and the transmitters that relay the signals uh, over cellular networks. So we're working with uh, the likes of um, HP Aruba and Cisco who make the Wi-Fi access points that go in the ceiling. Uh, but we're also working with a bunch of specialized companies that make the devices. And then there's all of the software developers. Uh, you know, we don't write applications. We're a bit like an app store. Uh, and so uh, anyone can um, uh, use the simple APIs that we provide, the application programming interfaces to write their own apps. And, and uh, that's gonna be necessary because what you need uh, with livestock is different to uh, if you're growing corn, um, if you're different to if you're a retailer, different to if you're in the army and you need uh, to track logistics uh, of your supply chains in the battlefield. So it, it, it's, it's going to be huge. And I, I think um, part of what we're doing, we've recognized that even with our works with Willio ecosystem, it's probably bigger than that. So um, we're starting to engage with a, a much broader coalition on something uh, called the Ambient IoT Alliance, AIA. Uh, so broadly speaking, what, everything we've been talking about is Ambient IoT, and it makes sense for, to bring those companies together so that we can start to, A, increase the body of um, enterprises that are helping to realize Ambient IoT, but also we need to go beyond the Bluetooth standard and start to work with some of the other standards bodies. And rather than each of them working independently, it makes sense to bring together the people that are um, using the technology, the people that are making the devices today, and then they can start to um, uh, inform and educate the standards bodies about where the next standard needs to be so that this can really scale and be interoperable and multi-vendor and all those other good things. So the information that a uh, uh, one of your customers would get back, um, you know, you're going through third-party providers for the hardware to, to read and sense the Willis yes. pixels. 
Uh, are you providing the platform back in for the data management or is it plugging into their exist or both? Um, on, but, uh, both really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we uh, so the the Williot cloud is actually the thing we charge for and it's pennies uh, but you know uh, you, you have enough things connected and hopefully the pennies add up for for mm -hmm. us we so think of us like a, an app store if you if you will um, so other people write the apps but the app store provides a set of services um, that uh, and we can make sure that people are playing by the rules and uh, there's um, uh, we can provide some hooks that people can use to build the apps on. So Williot is actually a cloud company. And uh, so we sell a subscription service because even though everyone focuses on these postage stamp size pixel tags, um, you need software at every level. There's software running on the readers. There's uh, software running on the, the gateways. Uh, there's software running in the cloud that is required for security. You know, when you start to have a tag that can talk to any device, um, you it, this raises privacy um, issues that that can be solved, but someone needs to solve them. So we do that by encrypting all the data, so that um, you know if a if a farmer puts tags on their product, then they can decide who sees it, and they have a say on the terms around getting access to that data. And so there's this concept of data ownership and eventually these tags will go into people's homes. Uh, and you'll, as, as a producer, you have the opportunity to see when people are consuming your product. Well, there are pri definitely privacy implications there and we need to get that right. And we have the building block for that because everything's encrypted and there's one uh, business that owns the keys that gets to decide who sees what. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of best practice and uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, coordination that's required. So we're set up to, to, to do that. And it's a very thin layer, but it's really essential for this to scale. And ultimately, they'll, this will be like the phone system. There'll be multiple uh, players like us and you'll be able to have roaming between networks of ambient IoT devices and uh, uh, you know, that, that'll mean that you'll find my uh, phone uh, or maybe, you know, find my crate. Uh, you'll be able to have roaming and, and get visibility of where people's assets are across different uh, wireless networks. And that's where the standards need to go to in the future. And the other thing I think is really interesting, too, is this um, for the consumer experience um, really improves that. So today... You know, uh, we went to what originally maybe websites printed on a label. Okay. Then QR codes yes. came out and they weren't cool at all. And they kind of died away. And then COVID re mm -hmm. uh, re um, you know, brought it back to life. It resurrected QR yes. because of menus and restaurants. Right. So people got familiar with that and it was integrated automatically into our cameras. Mm -hmm. So that became, but still it requires the user to, actively do that the thing i see that you're going to have with a williot uh, tag or pixel is it's going to be passive so as you take your steak out of the refrigerator mm -hmm. it's just going to uh, your phone will automatically communicate with that and it may pop it right up mm -hmm. on the uh, uh, screen on your refrigerator or on your stove or on your phone mm -hmm. with oh this was it this came from bessie she lived a great life and only had one bad day 
Uh, and, and <laughs> you know, we recommend that you cook, exactly. we cook Bessie this way if you want to, you know, an Asian meal. And it's going to pair with these three other things that are in your fridge that we know are 6.2 days old. Or you need to cook this one because it's 14.1 days old. Uh, so the food waste thing. And and rather than Absolutely. a consumer having to track it down, this is going to enable it to passively engage with the consumer. And, and that behavioral change has unbelievable impacts. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let give you the next half hour to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, that really, <laughs> I mean, that, that right there is kind of the, the, one of the gold mines associated with this. Is that correct, Steve? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely right. So we, um, one of our investors is uh, NTT Dokubo, the phone company in Japan. So we also have Verizon over here. So, but uh, um, we have some business in Japan. There's a company called Sato uh, who makes the printers that can uh, read our tags and, and, and print the different things on the labels based on what the, the serial number of the tag. Anyway, they did a project for the Japanese government. There's a department called METI, the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry very progressive and they um had a system where these tags were going on exactly what you described the the, the, the there's actually an image of one of our tags on a lettuce a bag of lettuce that was going into the fridge of this tokyo resident to help them with recipe planning so that they can now, oh, um, you know, I've got this lettuce and it's uh, starting to get close to the end of life now's the time to have that salad and it goes with this and, um, you know, we were actually adding the Bluetooth devices to the fridge that did that reading, but one of our customers makes fridges. So, um, and they're super interested in, in using pixels, actually not initially on food, but to go on the water filters because there's a lot of pirated water filters and there's a lot of water filters that should have been changed two years ago. Goodness knows what, what they're doing. Certainly not helping that uh, fridge company's profits and uh, maybe not helping our health either. So I, I believe the Bluetooth readers will be in the fridges, um, you know, in the next uh, uh, couple of years. And so you'll, you won't even need your phone to read what's in your, your fridge. The fridge will, will do it um, anyway. Um, and then one of the other things that we are working on, we haven't uh, formally announced it, is something called Living Web. So this is a, this is a browser that's based on current browser technology. Um, uh, there's the, the libraries that are used in the browser that's on your smartphone. Um, we're building around that. Um, but the idea is rather than having to scan a QR code or tap uh, an NFC tag, uh, which, uh, you know, there's a few of these um, uh, tags on things where you need to get the consumer to tap the product and just getting the consumer to do that is super challenging. Uh, the way Living Web will work is that the product will actually push the information to the browser and you as a consumer will decide what information you're interested in. Maybe you don't want to hear from everything in your house, uh, but maybe you are interested in hearing uh, alerts from the food uh, and uh, you'll get a, a push if something is getting older and you can then tap on it and you can do what you just described, uh, trace it back to, to Bessie, which sounds funny, uh, but, you know, in the age of recalls, knowing exactly uh, and, uh, you know, the uh, FISMA uh, legislation, which is requiring 
traceability and has been kind of going slowly in terms of its implementation, in my opinion. Uh, having browsers on people's phones where they can browse things and places um, uh, will be very handy. And, you know, uh, another example is you're waiting in a line uh, for coffee. Um, Living Web will have a push that comes from uh, the point of sale system to your phone. You'll be able to tap and say, I want my usual, and it'll be ready by the time you get to the front of the line. So this ability to just browse everything and that same browser will work for a farmer in a packing shed uh, or even in a field. They'll be able to browse <laughs> the cattle. They'll be able to browse the, uh, the, the plants that are, are growing there. Um, and, um, you know, especially as these sensors are starting to report information, now, that'll be great. And, and it won't require someone to write an app that costs $100,000 to write. If you can get your uh, grandson or, or son uh, or daughter to write some web uh, page uh, code, then basically every pixel will have a URL associated with it, uh, a web address. Um, and you can create a web page that could be a static web page that describes a bit about your um uh your farm or the instructions on how to use an appliance um and people will be able to choose what they browse and they'll be able to interact uh, and actually start to um uh, make sense of the world around us and what things are and where they come from i got a kick out of what you just said there i i envisioned you i remember helping my grandparents set the time on the vcr and now my grandkids are going to be writing code for me, you know? <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, very, very true. And, and, and really, uh, okay. So a lot of times you get connect, you know, technology like this and, and it's, oh, it's spooky. And I would say a lot of regenerative farmers are, are really kind of anti, you know, technology and, and those kind of things. And, and I would say it's, you know, money is not the, the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Again, this is a tool. It's how you use the tool is whether it's used for good or for evil. Um, and it can be, can it be used anyway? And what I, what I look at is if we can have a tool that helps us make simple decisions, like if you're going in for your maca laca chocolate latte, and you order it with 10 different customizations to it, you know, I'm boring. Give me a black coffee. I'm, I'm done. But uh, you know, some people take about 10 minutes in the drive-thru line to, to order their thing. And like you said, if that's your thing, it'll just automatically do that for you and take those decisions out uh, the low value decisions. So it leaves you personally available to make higher value, strategic managerial type decisions. And all these things are going to assist our life in getting rid of the mundane. Um, yes. And, and it starts in, um, you know, and we really kind of learned this essentially from, you know, Google Maps. Think of how ingrained that is today, Google Earth. Um, who, who would have thought when they started that, that you'd use that so much? So essentially, this is just kind of taking Google Maps to the individual item level. It's a spatial and characteristics in, in a XYZ universe, uh, and, and you've got moisture and, and temperature and probably more sensors be built in that over time to where we know where everything is and everything about it, which then can feed into an engine that helps us make accurate uh, decisions based on real information. 
it just really changes uh, our lives, uh, our efficiency, and like you said, food waste. But talk about how this can improve maybe the ecosystem uh, and uh, have an impact not on just the individual, but on uh, the community uh, and, and not to be too idyllic, but on the world, uh, you know, both an ecosystem and yeah. a social community dynamic. This this is uh, yeah. There's many you extrapolate this out. Yeah, it, the so, possibilities are unlimited. They are, um, but uh, we believe we need to, as a business, we need to focus on the good things that can be done because this is so revolutionary that if we don't, then it's the world will reject it. I, I think we we've been through enough. We've all experienced what social media has done to our kids. And, uh, and so this is not our first rodeo. Um, and so, you know, as entrepreneurs who are trying to make our company a success, our strategy is to focus on Williot for good uh, uh, and to use the jargon uh, ESG, uh, the, the environment, sustainability, governance. So, um, uh, and, you know, before I joined, um, Williot, uh, one of the projects I was working on was trying to make travel more sustainable. We had uh, uh, an organization called the Good Traveler that allowed uh, airports, airlines and passengers to um, uh, to essentially invest in things like tree planting to offset the impact of their travel. So th this means a lot to me personally. And it's you know, part of the reason I work where I work is uh, it's hard work, but it's uh, I think our best opportunity to save the planet. Um, and, you know, there are many social benefits to knowing where things are. You can really crack down on counterfeit fraud, theft. Uh, you know, Teslas don't get stolen very often because they're connected. You, you know, you take the Tesla home with you, you steal it, you just told everyone where you live and that you're not a good person. So um, we've had so many applications of this technology to track things that to, to counter that, uh, uh, literally putting tags on bottles of cognac uh, and because uh, there's a lot of uh, fraudulent cognac, apparently. I don't drink it myself. Um, but um, so on the environment side, which is really one of the areas where we're focusing on, then there are three things that we can do with this technology. One is reduce waste and waste is just terrible. Uh, the levels of waste are incredible. Uh, and by having that cold chain from the farm to the store um, uh, and even to the home, then we can drastically reduce waste with the supply chain as it exists today. But the second thing is we can redesign supply chains and turn them into what the experts call demand chains. And a demand chain is essentially a supply chain where you get demand signals, where you can see shelf level inventory in real time as a producer, you can get those signals back from the store. So you can get a heads up and visibility of where the product is low and where there are gluts. And one of the projects we did with this was putting integrating the tags into COVID vaccine vials and part of our problem with with the pandemic was hoarding and unintentional just uh, surpluses. So if we start to make and manufacture and distribute with a dashboard that tells us in real time where everything is, 
we can make a lot less. Uh, we can also waste a lot less if we treat it better, which is going back to the first point. But those demand signals, they can come from the store, but they can also come from the home. And, you know, we could be looking at the Nielsen ratings for see, seeing how many people are consuming our product on the 4th of July weekend or any weekend uh, and get a lot smarter about what people want, uh, what people like. People buy things and don't use them. We can even get an insight to that. So the second thing we can do for the planet is move to demand chains that re-engineering our supply chains to, to, with that visibility. And then the third thing we can do, which we're starting another project on, there's a lot going on here, um, uh, is start to look at the carbon footprint in real time. So uh, now the SEC is telling us we need to have a strategy and we need to track our carbon footprint. But when you when consumers go into the store, generally they, they have no visibility of what the carbon footprint is. Where things are progressive, then maybe they have a very aggregate view of what the carbon footprint is of an apple. But really, different apples have vastly different uh, f carbon footprints. If produce is coming from Chile, it, it may be lower cost, uh, but to that, that flight from Chile is probably significantly adding to the carbon. So if people can see, oh, this carbon footprint, this is local produce and the carbon footprint is lower and maybe it's a little more expensive, but maybe th there's, there's some value to, to that. So that uh, empowering, in that case, the consumer, but what if I, if I know where everything is, if there's a digital twin, I can start to model the carbon footprint of everything and that allows us not just to give some big executive at the end of the year a better report. It allows us to arm everyone in the supply chain with knowledge about the carbon footprint. And, and carbon equals cost. So this is not philanthropy we're talking about. This is just getting a better handle on your costs. And you know the benefit is you also have information that brings you up to meet where regulations are and where they're heading and gives consumers something that they'll really value if uh, there's definitely a market for low carbon uh, produce. And uh, to add to that, uh, the, you know, a lot of it, we're talking about the carbon footprint associated with the transportation of the crop. And, and really when you look at uh, the total carbon footprint of any sort of thing that we're growing, that transportation element still a small uh, amount of the, of the total carbon footprint. So, we need to be able to populate that knowledge uh, base with the farming practices, uh, the input selections, uh, all those things that are doing a positive and or negative uh, carbon implication uh, at, at the field level to where it, then it gets um, ascribed to, you know, let's, let's say if you have a, just pick a number out of the air, 100 tons of carbon was required to generate this crop and 200 on this other uh, adjacent field, but the other adjacent field yielded four times more, you know, the carbon per unit is less. Uh, and, you know, that needs to get ascribed into there somehow. So, I mean, there, there, there needs to be uh, that whole, you know, internet of things needs to, to play nice and, and, and talk at the same time. So, uh, but we're really painting that picture. And I love how you said it. Uh, you can really give an informed consumer then the choice to um, to, to, to vote for what's important to them in, in that at the end of the day, what's, what's going to really drive this. I totally agree. I totally agree. So very good. 
There's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot yeah. to unpack. Um, we need to make it easy. Uh, there's huge opportunities for entrepreneurs. There's huge opportunities for producers, uh, for retailers ev everywhere. And the good thing is um, I see it as an opportunity to align um, doing right thing by people, uh, doing the right thing by the planet, but, but also there's a huge profit opportunity as well. So uh, I, I'm hoping that gives me hope that this will, will be able to realize the potential of ambient IoT. Triple wins win often. That's good. Remind us again of your book and your, and your podcast so people can follow along with what you and your entire team are doing. Well, hopefully if, if they go to the Mr. Beacon podcast, Google that, it's on iTunes and, and YouTube. Uh, hopefully we'll get you to uh, do a return appearance and they can, uh, we can take this conversation uh, uh, further. Uh, if you want to get into the technology, then there's a book called Beacon Technologies, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beacon System, which is available uh, from uh, Amazon and other good booksellers. Um, and then um, if you want to play with the technology, uh, come to uh, willyot.com. There's um, uh, a Williot Academy, which is free. So you can go through uh, interactive uh, training. There are kits uh, that uh, cost 150 bucks. So you can get hold of these pixels and try uh, experimenting with things. And if you're a solution developer, which is the thing that we're really interested in, uh, to, to make this easy and accessible, then we'd love to, uh, to talk and, and help. And then, uh, you know, in the future, keep an eye on uh, the uh, Ambient IoT Alliance, because that's where we need to get these working groups together to uh, focus on some of the broader social aspects as well as the standards and so forth. Excellent. Steve, I really appreciate your leadership and everything that your team's doing there. I think it's going to make a, a tremendous impact on our world and those of us that, that live in it. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. We, we so appreciate your time today. And again, congratulations on uh, a great deal of success so far. And, and we'll look forward to what uh, success has come here in the future. Oh, Monty, it's been a real personal pleasure. Uh, I, I just love the insights that you have into how this can be applied. So uh, I've learned something uh, just listening to you too. Well, we learn a lot when we when we listen to each other together. So that's awesome. I appreciate you adding to the conversation. Thank you, Steve. You have a wonderful day. All the best. Wow. As someone who loves technology and has used Bluetooth for a lot of years, the development of these resources is super exciting to me. And the application for improving efficiencies in our supply chain and improving opportunities for scaling regenerative agriculture makes it even more exciting. We are looking forward to understanding more about how these tools can be used to facilitate practices that ultimately help improve soil health. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers continue to improve soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.